0: Hi, this is Glenn Turner, host of Thinking Through the Bible, a weekly podcast committed to a no-nonsense approach to solid Bible teaching. I invite you to join us in this endeavor to discuss and think our way through the great principles and teachings of Scripture. I hope you will join us every week at this same time, maybe even set a reminder on your devices so you won't miss any of our programs. We've designed this podcast to teach, inspire, and motivate you to move forward in the faith and grow spiritually. I hope you will find this to be the case in your life. If you're in a position where you can take notes of some kind, I want to encourage you to do that and maybe begin to build yourself a small resource that you can review and reflect upon from time to time. I want to welcome you to today's podcast. And having said that, let's get right into today's teaching coming to you straight from the Bible. Hi, this is Glenn. I want to welcome you again to Thinking Through the Bible. Uh, We're picking up today where we left off uh, last week in our focus on the book of Jude on contending for the faith. We established over the last couple of episodes that uh, Jude was written by the half-brother of Jesus and that um, he greeted the audience that he was writing to in the book of Jude with the words, Mercy, Peace, and Love to You. But Jude went on to describe uh, his desire to write to his audience about a common faith, but felt it more necessary uh, to urge the believers that he was writing to to contend for the faith. Uh, the word contend we established over the last couple of episodes carries the idea of wrestling, a hand-to-hand physical confrontation. Now, we are not supporting here that in order to move the Christian faith forward or to move uh, the idea of biblical truth forward, that we have to physically, hand-to-hand, engage in some type of physical altercation, not in the least. But what Jude was contending for, and using this terminology was to give the idea to the believers that he was writing to is that our faith is something that we are to earnestly and skillfully contend for, that we are to put forth great effort uh, to defend truth. As believers, we live a life that's characterized by the words that Jude used there, mercy, peace, and love. I come to you with mercy and greet you with peace and love, he said. But at the same time... We are to contend for the faith. and the fact that we live lives of mercy, peace and love does not negate the fact that we as believers have to wrestle uh, in debate. We wrestle in prayer, we wrestle against principalities, uh, as as Paul wrote in his writings, uh, to contend uh, for truth. We, must make the case for truth in our generation in our lifetime uh, every generation has to contend for the faith and make the case for truth within their generation and within their lifetime uh, that's where we get the word apologetics from first um, peter chapter three and verse fifteen. Peter writes and he says that let every man give the reason for the hope that is within him. In Peter's writings in 1 Peter 3.15, he uses the word reason, which is the Greek word apologian, which means a defender of the faith, which that's what you and I are as believers. We are to be people who defend the reason, the hope that is within us. We give reason for the faith to which we ascribe two. There are two areas that we are making the case for truth in our generation, at least on this podcast, at this time. These are, one, the subject that Jude addresses in his writings. We're studying and looking through the book of Jude, and he uh, brings out here in, in the book that bears his name uh, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we, as in our study of the book of Jude, Uh, are making the case for truth in this generation that there is a sin of Sodom and Gomorrah which exists uh, and is reflective in our culture today and that takes the the shape of fornication and homosexual behavior. Uh, It's something that the Bible speaks to. It addresses this issue. We've laid out over weeks now our approach to the Bible, which is a grammatical historical method of interpretation, meaning we are not haphazard about the way we study the Bible. I'm not haphazard in the way that I address you today uh, in, in speaking to these subjects. The Bible in a grammatical form addresses the issue of fornication and homosexual behavior. The Bible, in a historical sense, addresses the issue of fornication and homosexual behavior. And Jude makes the case that there, are, there is eternal punishment laid up in store for those who live this type of lifestyle. So we're going to address that, but let me quickly and briefly mention the second area that we're going to make the case for truth. We are contending for the truth in the area of uh, what Jude referred to as the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, but we're also contending for the truth in this sense of a hot-button issue in our culture today of abortion. Uh, We're going to be dealing with that in the coming weeks, uh, immediately upon finishing our Uh, addressing this issue from the Bible of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, But going back into the text of Jude, I want us to look at Jude's reference to Sodom and Gomorrah, which is in Jude, not a chapter because it's only uh, one division. Uh, But in verse 7, Jude says, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh and are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So Jude's comment here is, uh, is in reference to an eternal punishment being laid up for people uh, who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, why is that the case? Why is there a city that Jude gives as an example, actually several cities that Jude gives as an example of God's punishment of eternal fire? That's what the Bible says. Um, Why would God do that? Why would he destroy cities and and punish with eternal fire? Uh, What's the purpose? What was God's mindset in dealing with that? Well, Jude mentions Sodom and Gomorrah in the context of people falling away from truth and the punishment that is in store for them from turning away from the truth. See, Jude was addressing false teachers who were coming into the church not in an outright attempt to to be totally opposite of everything, that the Christian church and, and the apostles were teaching during this time, they simply wanted to come in and water down, to add something to, uh, to mingle truth with something else that they offered, uh, these Gnostics that we spoke of last week. But friend, when, when false teachers come in, their most effective attempt is not coming in as a wolf, but rather coming in as a wolf in disguise in sheep's clothing, the Bible mentions. And so what was happening in Jude's day, these false teachers were coming in and teaching uh, a certain gospel that was not truth, and Jude, uh, he, he approaches them in this writing. He confronts them in this writing and warns people, that they should not follow after these false teachers. And he gives examples of how that people in the past were right with God, they were in a right relationship with God, but fell away and fell into sin. Now, Jude describes that punishment of falling away from God as eternal fire. Jude identifies a specific manner in which people turned away from truth, uh, by two references that he makes here in this passage. He mentions in verse 7, gross immorality. Uh, I think King James mentions fornication. And it comes from uh, a Greek word which means utterly unchaste, unlawful lust unnatural sexual behavior. That's what fornication is described as and defined as uh, as it is written here. He also makes a second reference here to strange flesh, which means other, of a different kind, other than, something other than normal. It carries the idea of something contrary to the normal, uh, normal design and a departure from the laws of nature. Paul defines normal and natural in this context in Romans chapter 1 and in verses 26 and 27. And what Paul is referring to there uh, in this writing, uh, we'll just turn there and read to it, read from it. Uh, Romans 1, uh, 26 and 27, the Bible says there, That for this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of their body into that which is against nature or what was natural. And he says in verse 27 And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust. Now we know we're talking about sexual relationships here because he's talking about burning in lust. So in verse 27, Likewise the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, uh, which was meet. In verse 31, Paul goes on to say uh, that without understanding, they are covenant breakers and without natural affection. So... We understand from Scripture, uh, stemming from Jude's writings here and and looking at the context of other passages uh, addressing the same issue, that there is this normal sexual behavior that is to exist among people. That normal sexual behavior is defined in the book of Genesis when God took a man and a woman and put them together together and they became one flesh. Jesus reiterated this in the book of Matthew when he uh, quoted from Genesis chapter 2 and said that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and the two Shall become one flesh. Nowhere in the Bible does it describe God putting a man and a man together for a sexual relationship or a romantic relationship or in a relationship together that is to be equal to what he described as a marriage between a man and a woman. God nowhere put a woman and a woman together. In the, in the context of this kind of relationship. It does not exist in the Bible. And for this type of relationship to exist in our culture today, and I do not speak with hate or rage or anger, I speak in love because what just simply trying to reveal truth and explain what the Bible has to say about these issues because in our culture truth has not been taught well enough that people understand what God has to say about these issues. We simply want to make clear what God says about these issues. And God defines normal relationships between a man and a woman to be that of a man and a woman coming together and forming a family and building a family, procreating and building a family. Now, let's go on because there are other detractors who would without me getting into a lot of detail, who would say that, well, God only put man and woman together for procreation, therefore he did not exclude man with man and woman with woman for enjoyment. Yes, he did. He did exclude that. He excluded it when he explained in Genesis chapter 2, In the beginning of families, the starting of a family, he put a man and a woman together. Jesus reiterated that in the New Testament in the book of Matthew when he quoted from Genesis chapter 2, emphasizing and reiterating that a man and a woman are to come together and become one flesh, meaning in a marital sense. So in the idea of God... He does not, God does not recognize the relationship between a man and a man and, or a woman and a woman as something that is holy or acceptable to him, regardless of what church or what preacher or what politician told you that it was acceptable. In the eyes of God, it is not Acceptable. It is not something that was designed by God. It is an aberration against God and it it is a strike against the holiness and the nature of God. Friend, I, I strongly believe that one reason why people do not adhere to biblical principles and serve and worship the God of the Bible is because we do not understand the nature of God nor the holiness of God. Um, I grew up in church, and if there's anyone familiar with the ins and outs and the ups and downs and the agreements and disagreements and all the good, bad, and ugly with church. I've seen it in my lifetime since childhood. I remember names. I remember circumstances. I know of things that have happened, and some of it's ugly and some of it's good. But one thing I've learned over the years uh, from life experience and from studying Scripture is that when people deviate from God, it's because they've lost sight of the holiness of who God is. When we walk away or diminish God's standards in our life and what God expects for our life, it's because we lose sight of who God is. And I'm a firm believer today that far too many, probably the majority of Christians today, do not understand and do not know who God really is. Primarily because we, well, two reasons. Number one, we don't know the Bible like we should. And secondly, we we place our desires above the desires of God. Everything in church today almost is self-centered. We design church services around what will appeal to the masses rather than what will appeal to a holy God. We design every activity and outreach that we do to see how closely to a lost world we can live rather than how closely we can live to a holy God. There's something wrong in that kind of thinking. The church over the years in my lifetime, I have seen it, drift and do everything possible to become as much like the world in an attempt to reach the world than in remaining in a right relationship with God and seeing how separate from the world we can live. There's a problem in that somewhere. And whenever people drift away from God, I say this in my own life as well, it applies to me as, more as much as it does to anyone, that any time there's ever been a drifting away from God is because we've lost sight of who God is and the standard of holiness that He expects in our life. And we have sought to retain the name of Christ in our life, but yet not his habits nor his expectations in our life. And we sought to incorporate him into our lifestyle rather than being incorporated into God's expectations that he lays out for us in the Bible. I firmly believe what I've just told you, and I believe it is the primary problem and issue uh, today that challenges us uh, in our in our holiness uh, in 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 living a holy life before god paul speaks against this type of lifestyle and he does so because it was revealed to him by god he understood it and wrote it down and he revealed that truth to these writers so it can be applied to our life. I've gone through this process of how we got the Bible the and how it came to us and how it's supposed to be applied to our life. And friend, this is what God expects from us. He expects us today to contend for the truth in this area, which I will describe as an assault on the truth of God's Word in trying to water it down so that there can be more Inclusivity of a homosexually accepted lifestyle within the church. If you were to read today uh, just some of the articles that are put out by different churches uh, on their stance regarding homosexuality, gay and lesbian lifestyle, the ordination of gay and lesbian bishops or priests or uh, pastors, you'll find that there is a large part of the church today in the world that is accepting of this idea of homosexual and gay and lesbian relationships inside the church. That's false teaching. And I'm telling you from God's Word and showing you from God's Word, that is false teaching. God does not accept nor honor that lifestyle, especially as leaders of other people within the church. It is a total rejection on God's part, and we see that in how that He dealt with the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding areas. Now, I want to give you a couple of reasons very quickly why we know that the sin of homosexual behavior, in at least one, uh, is at least one of the sins. and and the reasons why the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. I bring this out primarily because defenders of homosexual behavior today attribute Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction not to homosexual behavior, but to certain people in Sodom and Gomorrah who were waiting to have sex with angels. Now, this is their stance. This is the homosexual stance and their explanation or trying to explain away the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They believe it had nothing to do with homosexual behavior, but rather, than the, but rather the fact that there were people who were trying to have sex with angels. In the book of Genesis, the Bible points out that God sent angels into the city of Sodom. And these two angels, uh, the attempt was made by the people of Sodom to molest these two angels and have homosexual relationships with them. The Bible is very plain about that. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But this understanding that the homosexual community today is trying to place upon this event in Sodom and Gomorrah is not an accurate understanding of Scripture, but rather an attempt to justify homosexual behavior and create this... Uh, inclusivity and incorporate the gay and lesbian lifestyle as a norm within the Christian belief system. This is false teaching. This is an era. We must contend for the truth regarding this. We are today contending for the faith in the face of this false teaching and we're, that, that's attempting to invade the church. It's not attempting to. It already has. And there are numerous denominations, Christian denominations. The Probably one of the most prominent is the Methodist Church, probably the second largest uh, Christian denomination in the country today. I think it has a little over 12 million members. But it is currently and has been undergoing uh, this battle within their ranks, uh, whether to accept the homosexual lifestyle as something that is accepted by God as a norm in a person's life or whether to reject that. And the, the Methodist church today is actually splitting over this very issue. Uh, and I'm telling you that if you belong to a church, be it Methodist or Christian or whatever, Episcopal, these are some of the other churches that are battling and facing this idea right now. If you're a part of a church like this, run. Don't wait till next Sunday. Run. Get out. If this is being forced upon you as a doctrine from the pulpit, you cannot, we cannot accept this as truth in our life. It is contrary to the Word of God. There's nothing about hate as a part of this message. There's. No, it's not about disliking people or hating people. I have no hate for anyone, but I have a tremendous love for truth because truth has consequences and your decisions, my decisions in this life have eternal consequences. So we're not battling just for an idea. We're battling in contending over this issue because it has eternal consequences. And friend, whether you accept it or not, or whether you believe it or not, you can mock me as a Bible teacher and laugh and tell me I'm outdated or whatever, but you will one day face the fact as a gay or lesbian person that you have went, gone against the nature of God, you've gone against the truth of God, And and that lifestyle is not accepting to him. And unless you part from it, there will be eternal consequences to pay for it. I do not say that with any amount of joy. I say that with a broken heart. Because what God wants is eternity with you. What he has designed is eternity with you. And to disobey him and not follow after him is to reject him for who he is as God and as creator. And he has not designed this type of lifestyle for you. We're contending for the faith today in, in, in the face of false this false teaching. that's trying to invade the church. Friend, truth matters and truth has eternal consequences. Why we know sexual sin, including homosexual behavior, is the reason that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually, there were five cities there that are mentioned as part of Sodom and Gomorrah. God only destroyed four of them. Most people are not familiar with that. But there were five cities in that plain. Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring cities. Jude even mentions that. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So there are we we know that there were uh, sexual sins in Sodom and Gomorrah and that's the reason why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah it has nothing to do with the city with the men of the city trying to disrespect angelic beings uh, let me give you a couple of things here uh, reasons why we know it was sexual sin that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah number 1 the sin of Sodom existed before angels ever entered the city As a matter of fact, uh, if you were to go back to, and I'm going to turn there, so it may take me just a moment, but if you were to go back, and I encourage you to take your Bible and do this. If you were to take your Bible and go back to Genesis chapter 13. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, is mentioned in Genesis chapter 19. But if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 13, Listen to what the what the Bible says here. The men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. That's in chapter thirteen and verse thirteen of Genesis. So the sin of Sodom existed before angels ever entered the city. So this uh, idea that the homosexual community is uh, per- uh, per- uh, perpetuating that. Sodom was destroyed because men were trying to have sex with angels. It's totally false. Because the city was recognized in chapter 13 before angels ever went into the city. It was recognized as a place of immense sin and immense wickedness that existed in that city. That sin continued. And, and, and to the point that it caught the mind of God. The decision to destroy the city came in Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18 and verse 20, um, the Bible says, And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. So there was something happening in the city of Sodom and in the city of Gomorrah and the surrounding uh, cities that was exceedingly sinful, tremendously terrible. So it had nothing, its destruction had nothing to do with the focus of the, the population of Sodom on these visiting angels who the Bible says appeared not as angels, but as men. Secondly, how we know that this was a destruction caused by sexual sin is that there were four cities destroyed and not just the city where the angels visited. Now think logically with me through this. This is why I called this program Thinking Through the Bible. We're not just throwing out uh, hyped up, stuff we're we're trying to cause you to put engage your mind and think through the bible with me so think with me through this there were four cities destroyed and not just the city where the angels visited so what's the logic here the logic is that if the gay and lesbian community is telling us that the reason we should accept the homosexual lifestyle and that uh, God did not destroy the city of Sodom because of homosexual behavior, then we have to look at what was destroyed. There were four cities destroyed and God destroyed all four cities because of that sin, whatever that sin was. And it was the sin of homosexuality. It permeated not just one city but an entire plain and if you read the context of Genesis 13, Genesis 18 and Genesis 19 that's what you will find Jude understood this because when he wrote he said that not just Sodom and Gomorrah but he referenced the cities there in that region verse 7 in the book of Jude if I were to take you back there just to, to call this out, it says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns. So it was not just one or two cities. There were five cities. God destroyed four of them. We'll look at why what happened to the fifth one in just a moment. But God destroyed all four of these cities because of the sin of homosexuality. It permeated the entire region. Um, It permeated the entire area around the city of Sodom. So if God destroyed Sodom only, and I'm speaking to the gay and lesbian community, if God destroyed Sodom only because of the sin of men trying to have sex with angels, or what the King James refers to in the homosexual community, tries to define as strange flesh, then wouldn't it be tremendously unfair for God to destroy any other city other than Sodom? Because Sodom was the only city recorded where these angels came and visited and where this assault against them took place. So why would God destroy other cities If that sin of confronting these angels only happened in Sodom, the logic is not there. And I understand your desire as a homosexual or lesbian person, transgender, whatever you define yourself as, uh, a questioning person, queer, however, then... You have to explain that, or better yet, just accept the fact that this idea that you're trying to show for support of the homosexual and gay and lesbian lifestyle, is just wrong. It won't hold water. You're, you're grasping for straws to appease a selfish desire that you have in your life rather than pleasing God. A third thing I want to mention that is just a thought that crosses my mind as I'm talking to you, that in most cases in the Bible where the Bible talks about debauchery or homosexuality or effeminate men, men who act like girls. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine talks about effeminate people. Effeminate people is a reference in First Corinthians chapter six and verse nine to young men who act like girls. The term, the old archaic term is a catamite, and it has to do with an older person of some age, not greatly old, but could be, uh, and the relationship that they have with a younger person who was on the receiving end of a homosexual uh, lifestyle and practice the younger person. It was common among Greek culture for this to take place. It's not a foreign thing to ancient civilizations. And First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 makes reference to this type of lifestyle. I just simply want to say, young men act like men. Don't act effeminate. Don't carry yourself like a little girl. And I'm don't mean to be rude, but I'm, I want to be plain here so that there's no misunderstanding. The Bible is very clear about what a man is supposed to be and who a woman is and the uh, privileges that we each have in this life and the uh, responsibilities that we each have. And our culture is mixing this stuff up. The breakdown of the family is one of the main reasons, I believe, that leads to this type of lifestyle. People, the suicide rate among among homosexuals and transgender, uh, gay and lesbian people far exceeds, tremendously exceeds anything that exists among a heterosexual community. There is a tremendous amount of pain in the mind and life of people who are following after this lifestyle and i want to encourage you that just because something is being forced on you or you're looking for answers and that seems to be the only way of life that you can find an answer in i want to encourage you there's a there is a right way one different from the path that you're following god is a fair god he would not destroy sodom and for And other cities, or he would not destroy the other cities because of the sin of Sodom. So, think logically through that with me. Let me give you a third reason why we know it was the sexual sin for why Sodom was destroyed. The men of Sodom lusted after angels, but the men of Sodom had no idea that these angelic visitors were angels. They saw them as men. So again, I speak to the homosexual and lesbian community. If your defense here is that uh, Sodom was destroyed because of a disrespect for the men of Sodom disrespecting angelic creatures, which you define as strange flesh, as spoken by the King James, uh, I would say to you that these men never knew that these visiting people were angels. The Bible says they saw them as men. And the men of Sodom lusted after these visiting men and even sought to destroy or kill someone if they could not have them in a sexual manner. You would have to be willfully ignorant to deny the fact that Sodom's destruction was due to the sin of homosexuality and sexual perversion. There were all kinds of sexual perversion going on there. Fornication, uh, sex between people who were not married, adulterous relationships, all kinds of sexual perversion. And it had gone on for so long to the extent that God said, I'm going to destroy that place. Something to think about for us as a nation. Jude addresses this issue. And I, it's addressed by Paul. It's addressed in other places within the Bible. So let me set the stage very quickly, and I'll close with this thought. Let me set the stage. Jude, men, Jude mentions cities surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah. I read that to you from verse 7 of the book of Jude. And in Genesis 14, a passage we've yet to look at, The Bible mentions five cities there. It mentions Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboam, and Zor. Those five cities. They were the five cities of the plain. And these cities, Adma, Zeboam, and Zor, were the three cities that surrounded the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're the cities to which Jude ref- refers to in Jude verse 7. Genesis in 19 verse 25, the Bible says God overthrew those cities. Verse 19, Genesis 19 29 says God destroyed the cities of the plain. He did that because of the sexual perversion that existed in these cities uh, individually. And God had had enough of it. We cannot deviate from God's ways and not expect to suffer the consequences of that. It's impossible. There are consequences to all of our decisions. And I want to encourage you who've listened to this program today uh, to take this to heart. And if you're someone who struggles with this, and I have to close with this idea, I do not deny that there is genuine affection, that genuine affection can exist between a woman and a woman, and a man and a man. I'm not saying that there's no love there. I'm not saying that the affection is not there. What I am saying is that that affection is not normalized in the Bible, nor by God. God. And just because you find something genuine in your life does not make it true. Let me give you an example that may help clarify that. If you were to take two people, uh, in the same verses where homosexuality is referred to, the Bible also refers to adultery and fornication. Do you deny the fact that genuine love can exist between two people in, in an adulterous relationship? Yes, it can exist. But does it make it right? No. Does it make the adulterous relationship right? No, it does not. And in the same way, just because there can be genuine affection and genuine love between a man and a man or a woman and a woman does not mean that that justifies that relationship. It does not justify it in the eyes of God. Love is not the ultimate goal. Pleasing God is. And so my prayer and uh, my hope is that we can contend for the faith over these issues and help bring light to where there's darkness. I want to encourage you to stay tuned for our upcoming episodes and be a part of uh, each week as we release these podcasts to you. We're doing it in the attempt to encourage you and to increase your knowledge of the Bible and increase your understanding of who God is and your relationship with Him. One of the things we're hoping to do in the future is to maybe have once or twice a year ever how uh, it works out to be, but we want to bring together uh, those of you who are listening maybe to an event on a weekend and have a symposium for maybe a Friday and Saturday, uh, maybe even part of a Sunday uh, depending on how things work out. The details have not been worked out yet. But in order to help bring a face to what's happening here and what we're endeavoring to do with this podcast, I want to encourage you to keep listening. We're going to hope to put together some type of weekend symposium where we can bring in speakers to address relevant and pertinent issues and help teach in a face-to-face way. Uh, the truth of God's Word. It could be something that could enrich and encourage you. Uh, It's not going to be a regular thing that's done every week, but maybe once or twice a year we can seek to do that. So keep listening for details that will come about that, and uh, we uh, hope to see you at any time uh, that that may happen. I do want to thank you for being with us today. I appreciate your time and uh, your attention. Call someone, send them a text, let them know that the broadcast is on, the podcast is on, and uh, ask them to be a part and listen in. Listening. We appreciate your support uh, in listening and being a part of it. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.